good morning. I, uh, <clears throat> I am very passionate about what we do at Blue Sky Ranch, and sometimes that gets the best of me. So uh, I, uh, I do want to start, and I will explain a little bit. So uh, Blue Sky Ranch has a couple things going on at it. It originated 2013. I was out at this piece of property. The year before that, 2012, I owned a landscaping company, and we were doing a bunch of landscaping work. And my daughter went to work at this ranch out here for this lady that had lost her husband and I showed up because I love horses and there was horses and uh, she needed help. I started helping her fix equipment and take care of stuff and I brought my crew out and we cleaned up her property because it was a mess. And then we thought and I walked the property and at that time, I, God had really just pulled my heart further and further into this need to help young boys. And in the view that I had of what God might be doing. I've always wanted to spend time with young men to help them. And I, I walked you down that road. So I was walking out on the property and I just thought, God, we could, man, we could help so many people out here. The, the, this woman wanted to sell her property. Uh, and and uh, so I went home and told my wife, we ought to do that. She says, nuts, because I'm a school teacher, we don't have any money. But uh, God worked a really cool thing. We ended up on this property. Uh, and we, we do, we, we bring boys from school that are 14 to 18 years old. We bring them out to the ranch twice a week. Um, we teach construction trades. We teach them how to use tools, uh, teach them how to drive a tractor, how to shoot a gun, wrestle, play football, beat them up. They need that. Um, we, we just had a camp out Friday night, all-nighter, ninth grade boys. That was fun. Some of y'all think, you're crazy, and maybe a little bit. Uh, but it's, it's cool. I love it. It's what God's called my heart to. Um, we do that. We do it all year round. We don't stop. Summer, we do a few more days a week. Um, and we've been going now for, uh, the official start was January, the 5th, January of 2015. That was our official nonprofit status start date. Um, but God's been doing this in my heart for a long time. Uh, I want to read scripture to you this morning. I do... Uh, this is part of my faith journey. Uh, and I want to share that with you, and I want to challenge you. I believe that's important, and I think God has something to say. Walking in faith. What's that all about? I, I grew up in a home that was church. I'm sure when I was as early as mom could drag me to church, I was in church. Uh, at eight years old, I made a profession of faith. I knew who Jesus was. I knew I wanted to be a Christian. I knew I wanted to be saved. That was not a problem. But my understanding, church, there's just, you know, you start being a Christian, there's a list of activities you begin to do. So I started that journey of doing activities. You know, uh, wanting to be uh, good, you know, raised as a kid to be good and thinking that God was, you know, that was pleasing to God, and it is, to honor your parents, you know, be obedient, these things. But this thing inside of us, as we begin to grow, we're formed by the home we're in. And my, my home was very competitive. I have two older brothers. Uh, there's always, you know, who can do this and do that. And we were in athletics and sports, and football was our life. And Wanting to win, wanting to succeed became that thing that was pushed in, I, was driven kind of into us. And I'm 
I come from a strong, uh, opinionated background, I guess. My mom and dad are strong people, but uh, my family, uh, my wife would say we argue a lot. We say we'd have a lot of discussions, um, but just strong people. Um, and so I wanted to win. And as a young man, one of the earliest things that stuck with me, and, and I want to share what I'm going to share this morning. This is how I got to where I'm at, how God works on me. Maybe you can relate. Um, we did a bunch of competition stuff, but we raised livestock, so we went to stock shows. And early, when I was little, we showed sheep. Later showed cattle. Um, and showing sheep, but there's showmanship that has to go with that. You do things a certain way uh, in the ring. And I had a lamb. He was really good. And I'm competing, and we're winning, and winning breed. Winning. End up in the last one, going to show for grand champion. And a little girl I'm showing against is using a technique that I'd never used to show her lamb. And you show a lamb, you get them to push against you and so the judge can get a feel of the muscle structure and all that and look at the, how the animal looks. And she was lifting her sheep up and shoving against him where I had taught my lamb if I put my knee just in front of me, he'd push against my knee, which was showmanship like the way I was taught. But I decided it was needed, I need to win. So if I just lifted my lamb up and just shoved against him because I, I want to win. And the judge took about five minutes to walk around her to lamb, and he, he came over to me and he whispered in my ear, he said, had you not lifted up your lamb, I was going to give that ribbon to you, but since you did the same as she did, I judge you the same as she's going to win. And he slapped her lamb on the butt and she won and I did it. And it stuck with me. I thought, well, that's just not fair. But I made a choice in how I decided to win, how I decided to succeed. Uh, begin to form me and have you laugh a little bit. I love God. I've always wanted to serve God. When I was a freshman, my mom gave me a plaque for my birthday, a little square. Probably wasn't all she gave me, but I remember getting that. And it said, Paul, my name, Paul. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and salvation for all who will believe. <laughs> Stayed on my wall forever. When I was 16, I was praying in my room, and I, I shared with you, I was a severe stutterer. I couldn't talk. Uh, in fifth grade, I quit talking. They got worried maybe I was losing it, but I just got tired of being made fun of. But I, I, God called me at 16 to be a teacher and a coach, and I, I knew that, man. I just knew that. And so in my mind, that became winning. Right? I'm going to win. <laughs> I've got, okay, I'll be a teacher and a coach. And my uh, parents never told me I shouldn't, even though, how are you going to teach if you can't talk? But uh, God will find a way, maybe. So, uh, so I became a teacher and a coach. Um, in the process of that, I went to college, and things worked well. I, I, uh, I, I did, my mom and dad didn't have any money. To send me to school, and uh, I wasn't a great athlete, a decent. I get an athletic scholarship, pays all my room, books, and boards. And I'm not a genius. I end up with an academic scholarship that pays all my tuition. So I get to go to school for free. Um, and that was cool, right? And then I get to college, I meet the love of my life. Uh, we get married. I need to graduate early. I want to graduate for three years with a four year degree. I went to a small university. They don't offer every course offering every semester. My schedule worked out perfect. I graduated in three years. In that vein of things, I began to go, yeah, you know, cool. Paul's on a roll. 
Um, I, I won an award when I was a senior in college, an Educator of the Year Award out of my university. Didn't have to student teach. If a school would hire me, I could go right into teaching. Didn't ever have to be the teacher slave like a student teacher is, right? And I, uh, and I, and I, won, and I went right into teaching. I was young, dumb. In my mind, like, yeah, I'm winning. It's good. God's blessing everything I'm doing. Um, we're having babies. Things are happening in life. I get hired as a head coach at 23. And I'm like, man, I'm killing it. Um, and I was bent. I was bent to win, to succeed. And, and you may or may not understand that. I was, I'm driven. I come from a driven family. I was going to be, I mean, my brother might have been salutatorian or whatever, but uh, he wouldn't be the youngest head coach in Texas. See, that, that driven thing of what's, what matters? Well, and it wasn't that I wasn't going to church. It wasn't that I didn't read my Bible. It wasn't that I didn't understand I was a Christian man. But I wanted to win. Um, and people would say good stuff about me, and I was well-liked. And 1995 <laughs> came around. And Proverbs speaks to this. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humble, there's wisdom. With, with the humble, there's wisdom. Uh, my two-year-old daughter had a disease that she wasn't going to get over. She was slowly fading away. We were in the children's hospital in Dallas. Uh, I was going to be successful this was not going to consume me. And I came home one day, and Tammy and I, that's my wife. She's not here right now. She's downstairs. But she uh, said, we need to pray. And that, that moment, 1995, changed my life. That prayer, because I said, okay, God. And this is a big deal. When you're bent and driven that there's that goal that you want, and God said to me, you better give it back. And I had a choice. And so I prayed that prayer. I said, God, you can have it. You can have it. I'll do whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want. Said, oh, man. And a minute, that wasn't a prayer of desperation. I wasn't praying, God, heal my child and I'll do this. I just said, God, you can have it. I didn't know what was going to happen to our kid. Uh, she's great. Now, some of y'all met her last night. It's awesome, right? God did heal her, but that, that wasn't the deal. I wasn't striking a deal with God. I knew he said, you better give it back because destruction was coming. I was going to lose my wife. I was going to lose. I wasn't going to win. I thought I was winning. Uh, and I did, and God took it. And he sent me to Louisville, Kentucky to seminary. And that was wrong. Man, I hated, I, I, I hated that whole idea of going and leaving Texas. That's weird, right? I mean, I'm in Kansas, right? But you know Texans, we're... Pretty caught up in that whole Texan thing, right? Um, and it was three very, very hard years. Struggles. Struggle, finances, struggle with marriage, struggle with academics, working third shift, UPS. And I, I argued with God all the time. What, what are you doing? Uh, is, this, is this what it's supposed to look like, right? Is this how it's supposed to work? Uh, I said you could have it. And so now, now it's all over, I guess. Uh, and it was really, it was, uh, 
I got frustrated. Three, three years in, I had to make a choice, pastoral counseling or preaching, and I, I didn't know. I was into Billy Graham School of Missions, Evangelism, Church Growth, and that was a whole curriculum, and then you had to choose. I don't know what to do, God, I don't know. I'm praying, talking to a professor. And I get a phone call from a guy three years, I hadn't talked to him in three years, from Texas. He says, hey, you coming back to coaching? I said, I don't know. You should talk to God, I guess. Uh, he said, well, I really need a coach. I need a girls athletic coordinator. <laughs> God has crazy humor, doesn't he? And uh, so we prayed and... Uh, yeah, God opened the door, went back to coaching in Texas, and I'm like, what? what? Okay, so I get to coach again, and it's girls, and uh, I went, we went to coach, and I did it. It's okay. I said, wherever, I'll, I'll go. Part of me was like, oh, I'm going back to Texas. That's good. Um, so uh, I began to coach them and just do my thing, but I was different, and I didn't realize you know, sometimes there's changes and they happen at a pace you don't really notice. We hosted a tournament, basketball tournament, and a team from the town I had coached at before I went to seminary showed up. They were invited. And it was a parent of one of those kids sitting by a parent of one of my current kids. And the comment the parent told me later was, they said, we used to have a coach white at our town, but it's not that guy. He didn't act like that. Um, God had changed me. What happened is he had, he had taken... God is never hateful. God is merciful. And in his mercy, he knew that I had to change or everything would die. And he took me to Kentucky and he altered my view of humanity. Uh, he showed me his love for his creation and that their salvation is what he is after. And... I went back to coaching, and, and my heart had changed, and I'm having Bible studies with my kids in the town I was coaching. I tried to, some people in town wanted to fire me because I was having Bible studies, and the school board wouldn't fire me, so you know God was giving affirmation there, um, stay there. And so that was kicking along, uh, and I get called by a town to interview for a head football job. I'm like, yeah, it's all coming back. Uh, and I go to interview, and they like me, and we're going to have a second interview, and I get a phone call from a guy here in Wichita, Kansas, that I'd known in Texas, doing youth camps and stuff with. He said, hey, you ever thought of being a full-time youth minister? I said, nope. Uh, <laughs> you know, because, and he said, well, you ought to pray about it. And so we did. And, and the, the truth is, I tried, every, man, I tried everything not to come. I, that bent thing in me to do, wanted to do what I knew God had called me to do, right? God, you're not paying attention. You called me to this. And we came. We, we, you wouldn't believe what they did to get us here. Nobody. It's, it was dumb. And they brought us here because that's where God wanted us. And so we're here in Wichita in 1999. And then there's a church split. Like, I come to this church and it falls apart. God, what are you doing? What's that? And then this church calls me to be their pastor. And I'm like, well, that's not right. I'm not a pastor. And we go because God took us there this journey. So I, what is God doing in us? We are his workmanship, scripture just said. That we're his masterpiece created 
for good works that were already designed for us before. We don't know. God does call and impassion us and give us these things that fire us up. And we have a tendency, we have that thing in us, yeah, I got that all figured out, God, good, here we go. And he says, oh, you don't, you don't understand. <laughs> there is a process. You're not who you need to be. But trust me. You know, um, in John 21, Christ has already risen, um, and he's appeared to the disciples, and he's going to appear one more time. And uh, Peter and James and John and Nathaniel and a couple others are out by the seashore. That's where they hung out. They were fishermen. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they go, okay, let's go fishing. And they go out all night, and they catch nothing. Now, Peter had been a part of this ministry, and he had walked through all these towns and villages and seen Jesus heal and fix and cast out and speak, and thousands come. And, and there has to be that thing. I believe Peter was a driven individual. I think he had this thing that I'm going to succeed, I'm going to do, and I'm going to do. And there had to be a point where he's like, man, yes, we are taking over the world. Woo, the Messiah is here. And then the crucifixion happened. The whole denial of Christ and him realizing the pain of what it means to follow Christ. And then the resurrection. And then this moment, all that's happened and he goes fishing. I don't know... Uh, why does God put that in there for us to read? That Peter went fishing again and they've caught nothing. Until they, the next morning they look and they see, they don't know it's Jesus on the beach, but they look and the guy says, you got any fish? No, we don't got any fish. He says, well, throw it on the side. And of course the net fills up and they have a ton of fish. And they go, oh, and John says, that's our master. Peter puts his coat on and jumps in the water and swims to the beach instead of waiting for him to row. I think he was driven. I think those kind of actions, I think this man just wanted to, yeah. And he gets to the beach and they have breakfast. And then Jesus, I believe they went for a walk because the way it refers later when he's talking about John. But it, and Jesus says to him, do you love me more than these? You know the other disciples? Yes, Lord. No, I love you. Feed my sheep. And they walk a little further. And he says, Peter, do you, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Tend my sheep. And they go a little further, they're talking, and he says, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Why, why, the, why does God ask him, what's the deal going on there? Peter loved God. I mean, he was passionate. He was doing, he wanted to be doing. I think in the way that God speaks to us, he's, that question is constantly there. Do you love me? In that is, do you trust me? Is it you that's in charge or am I in charge? Do you love me? You know, I think Jesus had a really full life on earth. I think when you read just Jesus' life, and he went to weddings and celebrations and hung out with friends, and of course he was always ministering, but Jesus never, it never left him that his life was required. 
that this deal was his life would be required. You know, that, that the, the, the cross was there. And then he tells us, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross. It, it's, not, it's not mean. It's, it's the, the, the greatest of love is in that, is that I know what you need and I know what I created. You are my masterpiece. And I've created you for things that you don't, long before you. I have these things for you. So then if you love me, tend my sheep. I, uh, I had to wrestle with this. And I don't know where you're at. I, I wrestled hard with figuring out what my tend the sheep is. Because I'm, I get carried away at moments. But I know that God has provided this in my heart. For 10 years, I taught boys that were locked up in a juvenile detention facility, um, realizing that about 90% of them did not have a dad, and realizing that the thing about me that is a father, and I was raised by a very good father. Uh, I could tell you all about my dad. Um, he is like John Wayne in lots of ways. Uh, he, he really is. Um, but he loved us. He never, he never yelled at us. Uh, you knew when you were out of line. And he wouldn't repeat himself very often, if ever. He'd say it, you should clue in, because there'll be something to remind you in a minute that you should have clued in. Um, but that whole idea of what that meant, my dad loved me, but he, he, when I finally recognized who he was, and he had growth long before I was born, I'm number three, when I realized who my dad was and watched my dad, he read his Bible in front of us. He made us do devotionals every morning at breakfast. He, he took us to church. We had to behave. I've had the thump in the back of the head for not paying attention to the pastor. I've, you know, that stuff was ingrained in me that there's a thing about life that's more than you and more than me. And that, so I had a great dad. We need fathers. Uh, as I watched these young men that I taught and their, their behaviors were out of this almost anxiety of what am I supposed to do as a young man? How do I, I have these things fed into me that cause me to want to do things and I get angry and what do I do with that? Uh, and they responded, believe it or not, to the way I handle young men in that God, I believe, handles us at moments where the discipline is, on, is important. God disciplines us out of love. He guides us, and he wants us desperately to know his love. Um, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. He has called all of us to understand that within ourselves. What is the gospel in you? The power of God unto salvation? The rescue that has happened for us if you have said yes to Jesus Christ? But it's not supposed to stop there. There is a saving faith. Genuine saving faith always produces authentic obedience. It just does. And I think that's what Jesus was saying. Do you love me, Peter? Yes. Okay. Feed my sheep. Who, who is the father? Um, I know that in our society, there, there are facts about our society, and we, we can know them. Knowing facts does very little for you. Um, what do you do with those facts? Uh, 
But I think this, this will make sense to you. As a coach, we always said stats are for losers. Because um, what you do is what matters. What, 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 is, what is what you are about? Uh, why do we need fathers? I want to read you a couple things here. In, in our nation, this is a survey that went out. Uh, and this is not just boys. This is all teenagers. Youth that commit suicide. 63% of them, no father at home. Teenage pregnancies. 71%, no father. Homeless and runaway children, 90%, no dad. Juveniles in state-operated institutions, 70% of them, no dad. This one, all youth that exhibit behavior disorders, 85% of them, no dad. Rapists motivated by displaced anger, 80% of them, no dad. High school dropouts, 71% of them, no dad. Adolescents in chemical abuse centers are addicted to chemicals, 75% of them, no father. And youth that are sitting in prison, 85% of them, no dad. Now, that's a stat. You know, I know um, I'm a teacher. I teach at West High. I've taught in Goddard and South High and Texas. I know God called me to be a teacher. I, when I was a junior in high school, he did call me to teach and to coach. It didn't mean football. See, I, I called it football because I loved it. He taught me what that meant. What's the gospel in me? I knew I was saved. I love Jesus. It's the power of God that is that rescue, and it has to come out of me. And he has pointed my heart and my wife's heart that we are to love these young men. Um, the story of the prodigal son, it, uh, there's a part of there that always kind of, I think it's very important, it's, when the young man decided to go home, and he heads home, it says that, yet while he was far off, his father saw him. That was just an accident. The guy had just woke up that morning and decided to look down the road. I don't think so. I think every day, the father looked down that road, hoping his son would come home. And when he saw him, he ran to him, and he fixed it. You know, God wants to rescue us, this lost world. He died for love of this world, that they would know him. Where, where is that? I know that that has been put in me for these young men, and we bring them in. And I, you may not agree with necessarily how I handle young men, but I think they need it. And we, we do have expectations and behavioral things. And I, I can hug them around the neck and kick them in the butt at the same time because they need it. Because God says to us that we love, love them. You know, um, what, what is God 
called us to do. He says, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then love your neighbor as yourself. What is it in you that God has said to you that he's pointed and pulled out of you when he says, do you love me? Do you trust me? Do you love me? And he says, feed my sheep. I don't, I don't think that's to everybody become a preacher. Obviously, no. What is it that I think, so growing up agriculture and on a ranch, feeding animals is mundane and boring. Uh, you got to do it every day, sometimes twice a day. Feed them, feed them, feed them, feed them. It's more fun to go to the shows and have the, whoo, uh, do something fun. But there is something we've been called to as a believer. You've been, you're, you're called if you've said yes to Jesus. What is it that God has put in front of you? You're his masterpiece created for good works, planned before you were ever here. And he does pull us toward, and it will be pulled toward what is the gospel coming out of you. Where is that? Uh, for, for us, it's toward these young men. Why? Um, why? What, what is it? I'm not, I'm not a sexist, and my, I love my mother, and my wife is a great mom, and moms are so necessary. But what is it about a father? Why is it so significant that there is a godly man in a child's life? Here's some things. What are the fatherless missing out on? Fathers have an instinct to cast a vision, execute a vision for their family. Fathers have an industrious spirit, unstoppable grit wired into them by God. Fathers are equipped with bravery, decisiveness, and devotion to God. Fathers guard, protect, remain suspicious of strangers. Always add your daughter's boyfriend. Be suspicious. Um, <laughs> fathers are driven to create a safe place for their family. Fathers are examples. Fathers train and teach. Fathers give wisdom. They want the best for their kids. They guide. Fathers have backbone, steady foundation, firm handshake, consuming hug. Fathers are invested in their children. Cheerleaders in the good times. Strong shoulder in the hard times. Fathers give love and set the example for love. You know, I, I, uh, I had a good dad. I loved him. I idolized him at one point, wanted to be just like him um, in every way, at, to a fault maybe at moments. Um, but the love of my dad was a great preparation for me to understand the love of my heavenly father. Not everybody has that. Not everybody gets that dad. I've been blessed. But as men... Godly men, we are called to love this world. And I believe you are called to your family first. Be that dad. I don't think it stops there. Fathers are vital. And we have young men that need to be loved by godly men. Um, we, uh, what, what is it about understanding the love of the father? Knowing that there's nothing I can do to change that love. You know, at the ranch, what we do, we do have discipline. We do, we do send kids away sometimes. So I'm sorry you lost, the, you lost the privilege for 30 days. Because <laughs> I believe it's important 
that they understand this life is full of consequences for how you interact. The cool thing is, though, is I was hauling this kid home one time, and uh, he had been a jerk, and I told him, you got to go home. And, uh, and I'm telling him, I'm going to take you home, but you can come back, and I will be bringing you back. You can't run me off by being a jerk. And, of course, he's staring out the window. And the tear starts running down his face. Nobody had ever told him that they cared enough that they'd come back. You know, he was used to running people off and they'd just leave him. He, he never had a dad. Uh, I, uh, and he stayed with us forever still. He's 21 or two now. Uh, I have his nephew at the ranch this year. I had another kid threw a fit, punched me, kicked me. I held him. Till his grandma came to get him. I said, you can't come back for 30 days, dude. And he's mad, so he'd treat me bad in the hallways at school. About two months in, he comes to me. Hey, Coach what? can I come back to the ranch? Well, yeah, you can come back to the ranch. He came back his sophomore. He stayed forever until he graduated. Why? Because they need to come home. Not that I'm emotional about that particular kid. He's a good kid. Man, this world needs Jesus. Where are we loving it? Where are we loving it so they know the love of the Father? It's not natural. Some people have no idea. You say your father loves you. Like, yeah, well, whatever. My father beat me. Where are they feeling that love? Where's God called you to be loving people, situations? He has called us to do that. Um, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so how do I, how do I love my father? I think, you know, Peter was asked that question. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. I think love is the, is the deal. So in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, we always hear this in weddings, right? I think this is the measure of a father. I believe it. I think I, it, it has... Uh, it, it impacts us. So I'm going to read this to you and you think about it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love protects, it trusts, hopes, it perseveres. Love never fails. That is our Heavenly Father. He loves us, and He has equipped us to love. Fathers have an ability to foster a really cool love. It's different than mom's love. We need to give that to our families, and then we need to see, where is God calling me to love? Who needs the gospel that's right in my path that needs rescued? Because that is salvation. It is the rescue. Um, you, uh, yeah, I got three kids, and I was an imperfect father. Um, I, uh, cool thing is that God's grace is good. 
kids don't always remember all the junk that we think we affected them with, right? Um, God can, can fix some stuff. Romans 8, 14 through 16 says, For all who are being led of the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons, which you can cry out, Abba, Father. Almost like Daddy, Father. He cares about me intimately. And the Spirit bears witness that we are children of God. You know, we have that. That is a gift. We didn't earn it. But God's empowered us then. The power that raised Christ from the dead, he's given us to affect this world. So Blue Sky Ranch, that's what we want to do. Uh, our little byline says, Horses, Hope, and Healing. Blue Sky Ranch came about, kind of a weird name, right? Uh, we are with a friend, you may know the group years ago, Point of Grace, this women quartet or trio, whatever it was, they sang a song, Jesus is my blue sky. It's about the fact this world can, full of storms, but Jesus is the blue sky. It's funny, because our boys, we had a camp out Friday night, and they loved it. And it, you know, it was cold Friday night, by the way. Uh, but we get up at 6.30 to eat breakfast, and the boys are in there, and, you know, they carry their sleeping bags with them as blankets, and and kids says, when are we going to do this again? This was great. I mean, come on. We, we, we wrestled in the dirt, and it, but it was great. And that relationship will build. And I told one of the other mentors, because sometimes you get irritated. I'm telling you, 14 hours with a 14-year-old, you'll be irritated at some point. Um, and this other mentor is a little bit irritated. And I told him, I said, you got to always remember this. And I, I, I trained horses. Working with a young colt, you go, you get to work, start working with them, training them, and it's hard on their brain because they're split, they're learning both sides, all that poor stuff. And the thing you always remember is when you're done with a session with a young horse, you always end on a win. Always end in a moment of And with these boys, that's what we make sure we do. And it was really tempting to have a moment where because they're I use this as a loving term. This is not um, That's a loving term. But you can't, you end, you end on enough note because it's the relationship. Because they need love. They need love. And they're going to come to that. And I just pray that God will save them. You know, we, we talk about being in the end times because the world's nuts. And uh, it breaks my heart to think. I'm good. I'm going to heaven. I don't want these kids not to know. They got to know.